When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Do you remember? That's when Donald Trump declared for president on June 16th of 2015. The media, of course, freaked out. How could he say such a thing? That is totally accurate. He was talking about illegal immigration from south of the border. Everybody knew. I was in the room. That was clear. But they insisted, oh, actually, the statistics say otherwise. No, they don't. And once again, we're reminded he was right. The Biden administration seems to be intent on ruining this country. Lakin Riley, say her name. We're always hearing about these social justice campaigns. Well, I can't think of a better one than for Lakin Riley, this poor 22-year-old University of Georgia student bashed in the head by an illegal alien criminal from South America. Joe Biden made this happen, of course. He made it happen January 20th and January 21st of 2021. It was the first thing he did. He repealed all of Donald Trump's policies at the border through executive action. It felt good. He got credit from the, the left, the New York Times, but look at what it wrought, okay? Those actions brought on our crisis. No doubt about it, none whatsoever. And it wasn't just that day. I mean, this is who he was. This is what he campaigned on. What I would do as president is several more things, because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says, if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. The worst thing in the world a potential president of the United States could say. And here we have a major crisis. And they don't want to even recognize it as a crisis. And if it is a problem, oh, we'll send Kamala to handle it. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. Well, it didn't work with Jose Ibera. He came. He came. This is the uh, alleged murderer of Lakin Riley. He got into this country in September of 2022 illegally. He was arrested by the Border Patrol. They did not have the facilities, so he was released. He was released. He was paroled for further processing. That basically means SIA never went to New York City, got a lot of free stuff here, by the way, and uh, arrested in New York City for child endangerment. This is a bad guy, and law enforcement believes he killed Lake and Riley, killed her. So, yeah, say her name. You know, Breonna Taylor, a lot of fake news was told about that matter, okay? A lot of fake news. But people on the left, they didn't care. And they made it into a, in a pretty big thing. Say her name. Say her name. All right. 
left out of all of that was, well, the drugs in the apartment, the criminal history of the boyfriend, and a lot of other things. They just went with this narrative that was fake, but it got a lot of people in the streets. The narrative regarding Lakin Riley is not fake. It's real. They let bad people come into the country, and they are destroying it, and they did it on purpose. Lakin Riley, we can never forget. Certainly can't forget before the election, folks. If we are going to save this country, Lakin Riley, her memory may just help us do it. All right, now this. I knew they had met um, at the municipal court um, conference. Um, How do you know that? I'll stop you right there. How did you know that? I answered that the last at the last. Uh, I, I'm I knew asking that, you now. I knew that sir, because I'm when, asking you now. I'm asking you questions, and you are in a situation where you get to give answers. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you, how did you know that? How did I know somebody when they met? Told, somebody told you that, right? When they met? Yeah. Yes, correct. Who told you? Mr. Wade told me when they met. All right. This, uh, I feel bad for this guy. I don't think he should have gone through that, had to have gone through it. This all stems from the ludicrous case they are waging against Donald Trump, who is innocent. He never should have been brought down there. You can contest an election. You can say things on the phone to people. They're trying to illegalize politics. How did we get to that moment, though, where the lawyer is talking about, did he know whether or not somebody was dating somebody? Well, it all comes back to Fannie and her boyfriend, Nathan, okay? Fannie Willis is the DA who waged this case, and she hired Nathan Wade, a special hire. Nobody could figure out why. He had no business prosecuting the case. They gave him $600,000 over a two-year time frame, and it turns out, yeah, she's the boy. It's a boyfriend-girlfriend situation. I mean, 2,000 phone calls during an 11-month period, 12,000 text messages, all in 2021. Now, it's important for them to establish that the romance did not happen until 2022, until after he was hired. The thing is, if Fannie Willis was, was she pursuing justice or was she pursuing, you know, having fun with her boyfriend? It looks like she was pursuing fun with the boyfriend. I mean, it's totally and completely obvious that they're not being straight with us. Prior to November of 2021, in November of 2021, I hired him. I do not consider our relationship to have become romantic until early of 2022. When did your romantic relationship with Ms. Willis begin? 2022. When? In 2022. Early 2022. Well, they tried to get their story straight, but you just saw in 2021, 12,000 text messages. And this little item, this is code for, uh, this is millennial code for hooking up. Check it out. From at least 2020, me and Mr. Wade were friends. At least that time period. Okay, I'm not talking okay, about... So no, 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 I just I want to be clear because my credibility is being evaluated here, right? We were friends. We hung out prior to November of 2021. They hung out? You get it? It's a thing, all right? They were romantically involved. Maybe it was casual, but they were hooking up before he got hired. Now, what difference does this make at this point? We all know, we know that she's not waging a kosher case here. What is the judge waiting for? He should fire these people or possibly throw out the entire case. The judge, 
is weak. Judge, he doesn't remember much of anything right now, and so I'm trying to create a timeline to hopefully piece this together. All right. Well, um, I, I'm not seeing really the, the likelihood that that's going to have any success. I'll, I'll let you ask a few more questions, but if he doesn't have a date, then I don't know that you're going to be able to create one today. All right, that's Judge McAfee. These proceedings were on every single cable news channel in America today. Hours and hours and hours of this stuff. He should know by now that the whole damn thing is a sham. People need to be fired or at least removed. He reminds me of Judge Ito. Judge Ito, remember, during the O.J. Simpson case? Yeah, what a mess. That guy wanted that thing to go on forever. Um, back to today, though. Terrence Bradley is the attorney. Now, what they're trying to get him to to say, give him more details, give the court more details about what his client told him about dating Fonnie Willis. That's the I have a problem with this, to be honest. I thought the attorney-client privilege was supposed to be like sacrosanct, right? I mean, just like, yeah, protects confidential communications between lawyer and client that relate to the client. I mean, there are murderers, right, who get a lawyer and they tell their lawyer, yeah, I did it, but you got to get me off. And we're kind of blowing this thing wide open. I don't like it when it happens to my enemies because I don't like it when it happens to my friends. August 8th, 2022, Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago raided by the FBI. You know what happened in the lead up to that? They got a lawyer of Trump. They threatened him and they said, you got to talk to us you got to talk to the feds about your client and what that client told you. Yeah. Hey, for the record, Joe Biden was incredibly reckless with the classified documents. Donald Trump put them on a stage and he had every right to them. He took precious care. But I want people to understand that federal prosecutors coerced an attorney of Donald Trump to talk to them, to talk to them about what Donald Trump said. It's in the indictment. On May 23rd of 2022, Trump met with Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 at the Mar-a-Lago Club to discuss the response to the May 11th subpoena. You know what? That's between the lawyer and the client. It's not the government's business. Next, it's throughout the indictment, violation of attorney-client privilege. Trump, in some and substance, made the following statements, among others, as memorialized by Trump Attorney 1. Whatever Trump said... That was between him and his lawyer. It's crazy. Murderers, they respect the attorney-client privilege. There's more of this in this crazy indictment. After Trump attorney one confirmed that he was finished with his search of the storage room, Trump asked, did you find anything? Is it bad? Good? Why do we know this? How was Jack Smith able to get this stuff? One more. Yeah, Trump and Trump attorney one then discussed what to do with the Redwell folder containing documents with classification marking. How did they make this happen? They are, they are ruining our country and throwing out the most kind of basic things that apply to American life. And one of them is attorney-client privilege. All right, one more thing. Rachel Maddow, the left loves this woman. Out of curiosity last night, I had some time, I watched. I don't understand the appeal to hurt the Democratic candidate who is running against Trump. Only this time, of course, there's a big new assist. That's our stance as a country. 
the stance. Republicans, frankly, seem quite receptive both to that election interference and to what Russia wants them to do in cutting off Ukraine. How does that turn around? She has this thing where she makes these long pauses. So you think that what she just said was really deep and important when it really wasn't. And she did do this, though. She made the choice pretty clear to all of us uh, what this election is all about. These were adjacent headlines in The Washington Post last week. Biden administration cancels $1.2 billion in student loans with new repayment plan. Right next to Trump and allies planning militarized mass deportations, comma, detention camps. Right? That's the choice, right? right? Relief from high student loans or using the military to lock up millions of people in huge new camps. Adjacent headlines in the Washington Post on the same day. That's one way to look at it. Uh, I look at it as one is uh, socialism <laughs> for giving loans uh, for people who actually took out those loans, the government getting involved and getting tough with our immigration crisis. That just might save the country. Rachel Maddow, for her troubles, by the way, is paid something like $576,000 per week. Wow. For all that fake news. I'll be right back. Can you trust? A new study finds Americans don't trust big media. Millions are going to Newsmax as their trusted source. They go to Newsmax.com and watch Newsmax TV for the news they really need to know. They download the free Newsmax app. Almost 7 million cable viewers watch Newsmax, but not Fox News. And 20 million Americans like you have made the switch and watch Newsmax all the time. So make the switch to Newsmax for real news. You know, FDR had his fireside chats. Donald Trump had Twitter. Joe Biden has an ice cream parlor. What is up? It's got some sort of fetish when it comes to ice cream. Came to New York, made a big deal of it, brought the press, brought the Jimmy Fallon's assistant. What's his name? Seth Meyers. Um, but I want to go back to the show itself. He's on the Seth Meyers late, 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 late night show, whatever it is. Watch how he comes out. First of all, who the hell are those people? 49% of them at least should be sitting down. Maybe 52%, 53%. And that fake run that's going to get Joe, he's going to get a compound fracture. I've been telling him to slow down for a long time. Now he hugs some woman way too close. Give me a break. Do not touch. You promised, Joe. You promised, actually, at one point you weren't going to touch women. And don't tell me, oh, we were co-stars in Parks and Recreation 15 years ago. They were. Amy Poehler. Whatever. Um, and then he sits down, and this happens. All jokes aside, according to recent polling, this is a real concern for American voters. How do you address that concern going forward as you come up to the 2024 election? Well, a couple of things. Number one, you got to take a look at the other guy. He's about as old as I am, but he can't remember his wife's name. Yeah. And, uh... Not true and not funny. All right. Then it was on to the ice cream parlor. Why did they go there? Nobody really seems to know. Uh, other than he's got some sort of weird boyhood fetish thing with uh, ice cream. I'm an adult male. I like ice cream, I guess, sure. Baskin-Robbins at a kid's birthday party, you know, 
three times a year. But to go on a Monday afternoon, also known as a work day, that's weird. And to make major uh, announcements about foreign policy, that's even weirder. Can you give us a sense of when you think that ceasefire will start, sir? Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my, my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. Okay, thank you. Okay. My national security advisor tells me, no, you tell your national security advisor, right? I, I, I didn't like that. Though he's not a leader. That's understood. Uh, Got to show you this. I have seen ice cream licked. I've never seen it quite devoured like this. The man is so uncouth. And for an ice cream social, what's up with the guy on the right? I don't know who it is, but uh, there's no ice cream in his cone. What's that all about? I feel like <laughs> it's some sort of weird signal. That cone is not bitten at all. That's uh, all right. I know it's a little bit silly, but it kind of made me think. After all, when it comes to ice cream, this is the most important part about Joe. Just ask Barack Obama. Tell me about Joe and your relationship with Joe. Did? He doesn't care. Look at how he's actually taking these questions. Talk about a guy who's slouching and not sitting up. Joe, I, I, he, all right, what is there to know about Joe Biden? All right, let's get serious, Barack. What do I need to know? Like, what's the thing about the ice cream? He loves ice cream. You know, <laughs> Tell me about well, that. <laughs> well, listen, uh, ice cream is big. Uh, pasta with red sauce, he, he, can, he, he can go deep on that. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> This is what, <laughs> he's superficial, he's shallow. Joe Biden, that's who he is. That's the message we're getting. That's, the, that's what he's putting down and we're picking up. All right, now he, gets, now he gets serious. What does Joe Biden really bring to the table? The main thing to know about Joe is that Joe uh, has never lost his sense of why we do this. And we do yes. it because of, you know, for him, memories of, his family uh, yeah. back in Scranton, and yeah. then the people of Delaware that he represented, the folks on the Amtrak train he met uh, yeah. each and every day. Uh, he is, he's constantly aware that that is why mm -hmm. we do this, and that everything um, that comes up, his focus is gonna be, how's that gonna help uh, uh, those people who, yeah. who, who, who sent him there? You know, what he basically just said is Joe's from Scranton and he has family there and he was a senator from Delaware and he rode the train. Thanks a lot, Barack. This is on you. The country, it's the state it's in. I guess you wanted it that way, huh? All right. And sit up for crying out loud when you're talking about the vice president of the United States, even if it is Joe Biden. And now that he's the president, it got weirder today. Look at that. It looks like a jack-o'-lantern, right? From Halloween? Something very, it's gonna give kids bad dreams, this guy. Next. Thank you so much, you didn't wanna pick up right now. Okay. 
a chance to talk afterwards. Yikes, there is something so mean and angry and weird going on with this guy. And I know it, and Democrats know it. Take a look. Something like uh, how many? 40? Well, number one, he's uh, Donald Trump is winning in Michigan. They are fed up with him up there. Uh, all kinds of people tonight actually saying no to Joe Biden, even in the primary. Look at this number, though. 48% of Democrat voters want a new candidate in 2024 to replace Joe Biden. And who could that be? Michelle Obama. Joel Gilbert, our filmmaker friend, has been saying that for years, that it's going to be Michelle in 2024. He may be right. Good news is I think Michelle is even more beatable than Joe Biden. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. What happened in Alabama, make no mistake about it, is a direct consequence of the hard right MAGA Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Today, the United States is an embarrassment. Court rulings uh, that are a direct outgrowth of the decision by the Republicans to go hard against women's reproductive rights. Think about the way in which they are insidiously going after women. We are the party of freedom, protecting and expanding freedom. Donald Trump has been hell-bent on ripping away the freedoms of the American people. He is trying to control women's bodies. Oh, brother. These guys, they are so, they don't know him, they don't understand him, they don't understand us. And they don't want to, do they? All right, I want to put up, uh, they're talking about the Alabama situation with IVF. Let's put that up on the screen, please. The basics are unborn child or children under the act without exception based on developmental stage, physical location, or any other ancillary characteristics. Look, I'm all for IVF. I'm also, from what I know about it, all for this. When I saw that little embryo, I saw a little baby. My children came about via IVF. Brittany Jones is the Director of Policy and Engagement for Kansas Family Voice. Uh, that is a Christ-centered organization focused on creating a Kansas where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished. I hope all that is right. Uh, Brittany, welcome to uh, Newsmax. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me tonight. I'm excited to talk about this important topic. Terrific. Well, Bring us up to speed. There has been a lot of kind of wild statements uh, made about what Alabama did. You know how I feel. On the surface, I think it's a step in the right direction. And I also do support IVF like President Trump does. So tell us what we need to know. Yeah, so this is a case that came out a week and a half ago uh, that essentially recognized that a um, an embryo that is being frozen for the purpose of IVF uh, can be recognized as a child and protected under a wrongful death statute in Alabama. Uh, it's a pretty simple statute. It require, it allows a parent to recover uh, if their child is, is, is killed in some way, negligently or a couple other 
uh, different way uh, mens rea in there that they can that the court can choose from. But in this particular instance, uh, someone had been allowed into the freezer where the children were being, where the embryos were being stored, and was allowed to destroy them. Uh, these families lost those embryos that they had contracted for and contracted with that clinic to protect. Um, and so it, it makes perfect sense for those families to be able to recover from that, for that. Um, and so th it's a really simple case. And uh, our the left is really blowing this out of proportion about what this case is. It makes a lot of sense. And it's a very simple case. So what about this aspect of it? I guess there are some families, you know, they uh, when they do the IVF, they get like 11 embryos and uh, mm -hmm. they only need two or three or Sometimes it takes all of them. It takes different numbers. And quite frankly, some families have leftover embryos and they don't want them. Um, what happens then? Yeah, so there's, I mean, this is exposing some of the components of IVF that a lot of people haven't thought through. Um, there is uh, oftentimes there are certain clinics that won't only create one embryo or they require that you create multiple embryos. Um, and so there are oftentimes there are embryos that are left in storage for decades. Um, and you're starting to see some of these embryos be adopted through what's known as snowflake adoption. Um, but as the pro-life movement, we believe that those are children and should be given a, the chance at life. Um, and they should not be destroyed carelessly like they were in this Alabama case, that they should be protected. And those families should want those children to be protected. They should want these clinics to have a high standard of care when dealing with uh, their genetic material. Even if, even if you don't consider it a child, um, it is genetic material that should be protected. Um, and, we, and as, as the pro-life community, we believe that that's a child that should be protected. You know, Brittany, uh, when I was going through this process with my wife, at one point I had to move an embryo literally across town uh, in a canister, and I felt like that's the canister, and I put it in the back of a cab, and I really felt like I was moving a child across town, and it was quite an experience. I bonded with that box because <laughs> I knew what was inside that box. And yeah. ultimately, it be, you know, became a baby. Um, all right. Now, I want to play something for you from Donald Trump, who has been magnificent on these issues, as we know. Uh, but he's framing he's framing it a little bit differently. Take a look. We can win elections on this issue, but it's very delicate and explaining it properly is extremely important. Many politicians who are pro-life do not know how to properly discuss a topic which is so important to the people in this room and so important to millions and millions of people. I think he's onto something. You know, the, the 2022 red wave that did not happen in large part because of abortion. Uh, there are reports that he's considering a 16-week ban. Uh, how do you feel? I mean, an election was lost in 2022 on these issues, and you know how they can be wildly misrepresented by the left. What, what do we do going forward? Yeah, I think this Alabama case is a huge example of that. It's a very simple law that protects parents' rights. It protects um, their ability to contract, and yet it's being blown out of proportion. It's somehow having to do with jobs, which it doesn't have anything to do with jobs, and somehow having to do with abortion, uh, which it really shouldn't. Um, but in, in Kansas, we were one of the first states to really feel uh, the effects of Dobbs in the electoral process as uh, we had a constitutional amendment on the ballot about five and a half weeks after 
that court ruling came out. Um, and so we've been living this. We have been day to day. How do we talk about these issues in a way that just that we care about women? Because we do. We care about women. We care about babies. We care about fathers. We care about communities. So how do we come alongside women, recognize their children, but also meet women where they are? How do we help them get the child support they need? How do we help them um, get other financial benefits? How do we plug them into a pregnancy resource center or a church community that can, can come alongside them and help them raise that child or help them place that child for adoption if that's what they choose? Um, and so that's what we've been focusing on. We've been focusing on how we talk about these things and really learning um, to learning well what the community actually needs uh, and what women in these situations actually need and learning from their voices. Brittany Jones, thank you very much. Go to kansasfamilyvoice.com, kansasfamilyvoice.com, and uh, good stuff. We appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Be right back. When I showed up today, my purpose was to express what I believe is the obvious truth, and that is that we must take care of America's needs first. When you talk about America's needs, you have to talk first about our open border. The other big priority for our country, of course, is the funding of our government. And we have been working in good faith around the clock every single day for months and, and weeks and over the last several days, quite literally around the clock, to get that job done. We're very optimistic. Speaker Mike Johnson, is he up to the task? Is he going to wobble and give in and... Uh... I don't know. I like him, but uh, I don't know. Tony Perkins joins us. He is the president of the Family Research Council. Uh, you know him, of course. He's been, gosh, speaking out on these issues for decades and decades. And uh, we so appreciate having you back, Tony. Look, the government may shut, shut down, a partial shutdown, the border situation. Um, should we be confident in Mike Johnson? I like him. I wonder if he's a little naive sometimes. I wonder if he's up to the task. Uh, what are you thinking right now? Well, Greg, first off, thanks for uh, inviting me back on the program. So I've known Mike for a long time, uh, back to when he was in law school. I talked to him this weekend, going into this week. So here he is. He's, he, you know, he goes to the, to the White House. He's been requesting a meeting with the president one-on-one -on -one since he became speaker. He finally got a few minutes after the congressional leaders met to meet one-on-one -on -one with the president. So here you've got the speaker You've got the majority leader in the Senate, you've got the minority leader in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, and then you've got the minority leader in the House, Hakeem Jeffries. And Mike is basically standing alone when it comes to these issues. So he is fighting hard, and I think he's made very clear that the border is going to be a battle, and they are willing to draw the line over the, over the border. And I think the news that came out of Athens, Georgia last week with the uh, horrific murder that took place uh, by a suspected illegal immigrant is only forcing this issue to the forefront of the national debate. And by the way, what Johnson wants is not expensive. What we want is not expensive, no. right? No, a pen it's, it's just and enforcing some paper. the law. It, 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 I mean, it's exactly what Donald Trump did when the border was a ghost town, when he was a president, and he didn't have Congress doing anything. It was all done by executive order. He did it himself. The president could do that. Now, I have not yet spoken to the speaker since he had his meeting with the president today. I'm sure the president's going to throw something out there, some dribble, about securing the border. Uh, but I'm sure it's not going to be good enough, and the Republicans are going to have to hold the line and force the president's hand on this. Well, Absolutely like, force their hand. I like that Speaker Johnson has a lot of juice right now. Here's Chuck Schumer, uh, who was in the same meeting, but not in the private meeting. Uh, D03, please. 
He said to the speaker, get it done. I told him, this is one of the moments, I said, I've been around here a long time. It's maybe four or five times that history is looking over your shoulder. And if you don't do the right thing, whatever the immediate politics are, you will regret it. I told him two years from now and every year after that. All right, he's talking about Ukraine. I'm talking yeah. about America. I'm thinking about America right. and the border. I don't think he's going to. All right, so we need this stuff. How are you with, uh, if the government shuts down, are we supposed to be upset about that? I don't think anybody wants the government to shut down. I mean, it, it, it'll, you know, for 48 hours, there'll be jubilation because we, you know, we brought the government, you know, it, it came to a stop and we got people's attention. But you got to get it back going. You got to get it going again. I think that's going to be the heavier lift. If we can avoid the government shutdown, that's great. But I will tell you this, in my conversations with the speaker, he's not afraid of a government shutdown. He's more concerned about an open border than he is a closed government because of what it's doing to this country from a security standpoint, where we now have upwards of 16 million uh, illegal undocumented immigrants in this country. Now, that's collectively. Uh, we have known terrorists who have crossed the border. We have terrorist cells operating in this country that want to do harm to us. We don't have to have a wild imagination. All we need to do is go back to October 7th to see what can be the outcome of that in Israel. So uh, the, 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 the speaker knows what's at stake here. It's not just Ukraine funding. It's not just keeping the government open. It's keeping Americans alive. You're the Family Research Council. The family is under attack like never before. I mean, you know, the idea of a nuclear family, heterosexual parents is now considered not, not quaint. It's like somehow not relevant or not cool. I, it's Let me just put it to you this way, though. I mean, it seems like we're losing the fight. It, it seems like the Family Research Council is losing the fight. But, but, but. Is it like those pictures from the 1950s where everybody was smoking cigarettes, right, <laughs> everywhere, and then the Surgeon General and others came out and said, this is killing you. Do we have to get this bad before we can get better? Greg, I, I, think, you're, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, what we're seeing in the younger generations is they're trying to restore what they didn't have, and that is that family structure. Now, some of them don't know what that looks like. Um, and, of course, this administration, this is one of the reasons we don't want to fund it, because it's attacking it at every level, whether it's in the education system, pushing their transgender agenda, uh, or whether it's the sanctity of human life, trying to fund abortions through the mail with the abortion pill. So, yes, it is under attack under our policies. But I do see, I do see evidence out there, Greg, that there is a, a resurgence that's taking place. We're seeing it clearly on the transgender issue where there's pushback nearly 25 states, 24, 23 states have enacted safe acts to protect minors from these experimental drugs and surgeries for transgenderism. So I, 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 there is reason for hope, Greg. There's reason for hope. And what about corporate America? The state legislatures, you know, we know there are good people in those state legislatures, you know, especially in certain states. But what about corporate America? They seem to be um, complicit. Yes. Uh, no question about that. Um, uh, less hopeful for them, although we do see the backlash that comes occasionally, like with Bud Light, Target, 
others. And it, it, it along, it's, it's like anything else, Greg. You know, this, there's, a, there's a kind of a, a long runway. The initial impact is not fully experienced until years down the road. And sometimes people have a hard time putting it together. When you see companies like, you know, JCPenney tottering, um, you, you go back a decade. And when they started going down the woke path, sometimes these corporations do uh, corrections, course corrections. Other times they don't. And people have a hard time connecting the initial trigger that took them down this path. I, I, I don't know. I think there's a reshuffling. We see state legislatures. I'm very hopeful with what I see as state legislatures, state treasurers that are pushing back on the woke financing mm-hmm. and these corporations. So here, here's the bottom line, Greg. Yeah. It is not time to wave a white flag. It is time to engage. It's time to pray for our nation. It's time to vote for those who will stand up for these basic American principles that made this country great. Love it. Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council. Thank you. FRC.org. We'll be right back. Thank you, Tony. So did you see this terrible car crash in St. Louis? A mother and daughter wiped out. Now we, we got to take out the moment where they got run over, but guys speeding at about 70 miles per hour through a, you know, a city zone where the traffic limit is about 35 miles per hour. Take a look. See those two women? They're about to die right there. And who are they? Let's, uh, let's take a look at them. They just came from a Drake concert. And what are their names, please? Uh, what a sad, sad thing. Uh, mother, daughter, dead after that fatal car strike. Monty Henderson was the driver, 70 miles per hour, 22 years old. And he had a thing for speeding. This is the kind of thing you would expect somebody would be in jail for right now. Uh, he's not, actually. He's under house arrest, released. Put up 20000 bucks, and uh, he's out. Uh, Three previous citations for speeding. The judge who uh, has, I don't think this even counts as a slap on the wrist. Uh, Here she is. She has a a reputation for letting people go, including uh, a mother who left a loaded gun on a table with which a seven-year-old child shot another kid in the house. That's no problem, Mom. You can go home now. Big problem. Her name is uh, Llewellyn. Is it Llewellyn? Yeah. Llewellyn. Judge, you shouldn't be a judge. Not good at all. Soros. Soros had a role in her appointment, we believe. So the FBI, can we turn to them for some law enforcement guidance? No. Take a look at this. This is the woke FBI. Higher prices, dangerous products, and closing businesses. These are just some of the impacts. Organized retail theft has on everyday Americans. Learn what the FBI does to combat these crimes on the federal level to protect shoppers across. All right, they just called it organized retail theft. And they put these two teenage girls on an official FBI, right? They're they're putting things in their jacket. That is not organized retail theft, all right? This This is pretend. I think you're doing it for identity politics. Maybe you think that it's okay to, you know, what, Karens, right? Nobody likes Karens these days, right? White women still being punished for voting for Trump. Anyway, let's take a look at some real organized theft. This is what it looks like, all right? It's organized. It's terrifying. 
It's not a couple of girls after school uh, stealing licorice, all right? It's brazen, right out in the open, and it's happening all the time. We are in full-blown crisis mode, and whatever the FBI thinks they're doing, it's not enough. You know, keeping data, document, they're, they're, they're terrible. They have lost their way and must be disbanded and totally, totally reformed, uh, rebuilt from the ground up. Can I see those uh, two girls one more time? <laughs> uh, there they are. Drop the batter. See, they're, they're, they're putting things in their jacket. This is what's known as a model shoot, and they're pretending to steal stuff. All right, the FBI, totally out of touch. All right. We have to say something, believe it or not, in defense of Nikki Haley. I think she's terrible. She should not be running for president. No business whatsoever. Totally disloyal. No integrity. Uh, greedy. But when you run for president and you actually are stupid enough to go all the way to South Carolina and lose like she did, we should at least be able to see her concession speech, just for, you know, amusement purposes. But the fake news wouldn't, wouldn't let that. They did it to Trump and they did it to her. It can be I want to thank Senator, <laughs> Senator Tom Davis. And that is uh, Nikki Nathan Haley Valentine. speaking uh, tonight. She said that in the next 10 days, 21 and states and territories have the right to a choice and that she is moving forward to at least through Super Tuesday. I don't understand this. They got these political, like, you know, all-star panels with 75 people, and they talk about every little thing political. Yet, she's given a speech. Listen to the whole thing. Then you, can, then you can mock her with a little bit of knowledge and authority. Every network did this to her. She spoke. Let's see. Let's take another one. Uh, they aired 14 minutes of her. Okay. Well, they, they shortchanged her a minute. That's not terrible, but they did it to Trump. ABC aired one minute of his speech, one minute of his 24-minute speech. The fake news getting faker, and I'll be right back. Lakin Riley, say her name. We cannot forget this young woman and what happened to her, so unnecessary. We have to make this part of our cause and the name. I think it's important. Lakin Riley, let's not forget Say her name. Joe, he let this happen. And he could actually do something. He could turn it all around. But he signed that stuff on doing everything that Trump had come up with. The border was under control. And America knows that. And look at what happened. He signed that stuff. And yeah, everything. He reversed Trump and everything went to hell. All right. Something more pleasant, please. I have a video of my daughter. I was told she was playing the drums. It's not quite that, but anyway, that's baby Madeline. She's just two, and I love her so much. And her sister and her mommy. I'll see you tomorrow night.